Well, today is uh, part two of our series called Flip the Switch, where we're basically just flipping the switch over from the Old Testament stories that we've been looking at since late summer, and now we're switching over, flipping that switch into the life and the story of the birth of Jesus. Now, Nate, he shared a wonderful message with us uh, last week uh, about uh, the, the name uh, that, that God had given his son, that he was going to be a wonderful counselor. And, and Nate shared that, you know, names are very, very important. He also shared that this whole thing that we're doing throughout the Christmas season is we're actually backtracking just a little bit here in the Old Testament and looking at the prophecy of Isaiah. And Isaiah, he's about 700 years before the time of Jesus, and he comes along and he starts prophesying that this baby is going to be born, that he is going to be, and, and we'll look at it here in a second again, the, a wonderful counselor as Nate talked about last week, and then he gives them some other names. Again, names are, are very, very important, but what he's basically saying is that the Messiah, the, the Savior, is coming. He, he's going to redeem the people from their sin. Now, when the people had thought up to this point in Jewish history about a, a Messiah coming, a Savior coming, they thought that he'd be a great military leader. You remember, as, as we've looked through since the, the end of summer at all these stories that Israel kept getting into all these conflicts with different people, the, the Philistines and the Jebusites and the Mosquito Bites and all the, you know, all the, all the other... Um, no, no, there was all these people. And then, you know, in the last couple of weeks, we, we've looked at how the Babylonians and the Assyrians had come up against them. Back in the time of David, it was the Philistines. It was just always somebody. And so the, the Jews, they thought that God's going to raise up this great military leader. And that's how he's going to come and save us. But instead, all of a sudden, Isaiah says, no, 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 no. The one that's going to save you it's going to come, it's just a little baby, wrapped in swaddling clothes. He's going to lie in a manger. And this just blew their minds. As Nate shared last week, he gives them some, some awesome names. Now before I get to those names, I want you to think about how crazy it is that God's answer to everything that has ever terrorized us and ever will terrorize us. His answer was a baby. We, we've seen in our nation recently, you know, wildfires in, in California. We've seen mass shootings happen. We see wars and, and we see diseases. And God says the answer to all of that is a baby. And Isaiah goes on and he gives the names of God with us. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And he will be called what? He will be called Wonderful Counselor. He'll be called Mighty God. He'll be called, he'll be called the Prince of Peace. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Again, last week Nate shared with you about he shall be called the Wonderful Counselor. Today I want to talk to you about how his name is Mighty God. Now if you think about that, that's a pretty bold choice for a kid's name, isn't it? Mighty God. I mean, th think about, you know, you, you get on Penn Live today to see the birth announcements of kids born in Harrisburg yesterday. And you're like, okay, yeah, this cute little boy here, born 12-8-2018, you know, and it's got the, the picture and all of his measurements, you know, he was 8 pounds, 6 ounces, he was 22 inches long, and his name shall be Mighty God. 
Not all the popular names of 2018, you know, like Aiden and Mason and Lucas. No, no, no. His name shall be Mighty God. That's a pretty bold choice for a name. Now, is Isaiah saying that that's actually what the child would be named? No. What he's doing is he's given sort of a, a description of who he would be. That he's going to be wonderful counselor. He's going to be mighty God. He's going to be the everlasting father. He's going to be the prince of peace. Again, names are so, so important. Names in that day and time were very descriptive of what you expected the person to grow up to be. In fact, Isaiah, his name means this. The Lord has brought salvation to our people. Hezekiah, who was the, the king of Judah during the, the time of Isaiah, his name means the Lord is my strength. And I kid you not, I looked up my name, and here's what my name means. Noble youth, <laughs> bright, and famous. I kid you not, you can look this up. Names are very, very important. And in Jesus being called Mighty God, it reveals a lot about who he is and what he was going to do. That he is mighty, that he is God in human flesh. Jesus, one time, he's with his disciples, and you know, he had been doing all kinds of things around them, and he's trying to reveal who he is. And there's this one disciple, his name's Philip, and Philip just isn't quite getting it. Jesus finally turns to him in John chapter 14, verse 9, and he says, Philip, don't you yet understand who I am? If you have seen me, then you have seen who? If you have seen me, you've seen the Father. What's Jesus making the claim of here? That he and the Father are what? That they're one. Philip, if you have seen me, you have seen the, the Father. Philip, I am God. This isn't the only time that Jesus would make this claim that he is God. That he is three, but yet he's just one. And so what I want you to understand here this morning is that any time you have seen the mighty God working, you've seen Jesus. And any time you see Jesus doing something, you have seen the work and the hand of the mighty God. They are one and the same. Which makes this Christmas story even so much more amazing. That the mighty God, the, the God that created the heavens and the earth, the God that, that, that Scripture tells us He measured one end of our universe to the other from His thumb to His pinky. That's how big He is. The same mighty God who knows every star by name, the same mighty God who when He created the earth, He measured out the waters of the earth in the hollow of His hand. There's the Atlantic Ocean, there's the Pacific Ocean, there's the Indian The same mighty God that did all that became one of us. He became a little baby. If you have seen the mighty God, you have seen Jesus. And if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the mighty God. He humbled himself. He became one of us. And so my goal this morning is this. I want you to always remember that. That Jesus is the mighty God. And even more so than that, I want you to remember that the mighty God now wants to work in your life so that you can do great and mighty things for Him. As the Apostle Paul will encourage us later, that you can do exceedingly, abundantly, even more than you could ever hope or imagine. So that's the goal. To get started, 
Let's look at this mighty God all the way from conception all the way up to His resurrection and see how that applies to our lives. So, you know, when it comes to Jesus' conception, you don't need to be a doctor, you don't need to be a biologist to understand that a virgin does not conceive a child. Doctors would say, that's impossible. But yet with God, all things are possible. And so this angel appears to to Mary, scares the living daylights out of her, and says, yo, Mary, you're going to give birth to a child. And she says, are you from Colorado? I mean, what are you smoking, dude? I'm not getting... I'm not giving no birth to a child. I haven't even been with a man. I'm not giving birth to a child. Angel says, oh yeah, you are. Actually, it says this. Luke chapter 1, verse 35. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit shall come upon you and what? The, the power of God shall overshadow you so that the baby born to you will be utterly holy. The what? The, the Son of God. What an amazing display of power here that the mighty God is, is doing. He is going to create this child that is 100% human, but yet at the same time, 100% man. Or I actually said, yeah, 100% man. He's 100% human, but he's 100% God as well. He's not 50-50. Now, you know, the, the Catholic Church makes a big deal about Mary, and I don't know why exactly, because Mary is just human like us. Jesus had to be born of a human being, a, a female, because he needed to have a sinful nature. That's where he got his sinful nature from. It was from Mary. So he has 100% of Mary's sinful nature, but because he wasn't born of a human father, he was born of his heavenly father, of God himself. He has 100% of God. He is God. And so... 100% of the time, he faced all the same trials and temptations that, that, that we face. But yet, 100% of the time, unlike us, he was able to say no to sin. That when he came to those forks in the road of, do I do it my way or do I do it God's way? Do I do it Satan's way or do I do it God's way? Do I do what my flesh wants to do or do I do it God's way? 100% of the time, he said, I am doing it God's way. Why? Because he is God in the flesh. What an awesome display of the mighty God and what he can do. And th that same work of the mighty God continued in, in Jesus' life as he, as he grew up and then as he started into his ministry. Luke says that when his ministry started, the, the power of the Holy Spirit was upon him. And all of a sudden, Jesus, he's going out and he's healing the blind and the lame and the, the cripple. He's, he's doing miracles. He's, he's feeding the masses. He's casting out demons in people. He's just this, this miracle worker. He's walking on water. He's raising the dead. Every single place that he went, he was faced with opposition. Whether it was a demonic opposition, whether it was human opposition from the religious leaders who, who didn't want him to be doing and saying what he was doing. Sometimes it was, 
you know, sickness that was the opposition. But yet as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all write, no matter where he went, the power of God was working in him and it was working through him and, and the power of God was on him to make a difference in the world. And it wasn't just what Jesus was doing that, that his mighty power was revealed. It was even in what he was saying. It was being revealed to people that this is the mighty God, the, the people. The scripture tells us in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Matthew writes and he says this. Or actually, uh, I, I skipped it. Uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 32. It says, the people were amazed because he spoke with what? He spoke with power and authority he spoke with power and authority now the, the greek word there that we translate as power and, and authority is shmiha it's actually a pretty fun word to say you want to say it with me shmiha you know, you can spit on the person in front of you, you know, shmiha right shmiha and we, we've actually talked about this in, in the past but it's this, this very powerful word because to speak with shmiha, to speak with power, to speak with authority, this is something that not just anybody could do. You actually had to earn this right to do it. You had to go through very rigorous training in, in Hebrew schooling. Three different sort of schools that you went to. And even if you got to the end of that schooling, only the best of the best of the best were granted shmiha. And even then it was only because two rabbis who themselves had shmiha sort of bestowed it on you. And, and what shmiha gave you the ability to do was to actually interpret scripture. All the other rabbis, they would say, okay, this is what rabbi so-and-so says, and this is what rabbi so-and-so says. But this allowed you to interpret it yourself. And all of a sudden, here comes Jesus. And it says the people were amazed at his teaching, that he spoke as one who had shmiha, power and, and authority. But yet the people were going, wait a second, we know this kid. We know him. We, we know his parents. He didn't go to all this schooling. He's a carpenter for crying out loud. But yet, Jesus keeps going, you have heard it said in the past, but I say to you. You have heard it said in the past, but a new command that I give you. He's speaking with such power and authority, and the religious people, they were like all freaked out about it. They're like, he can't do this. And the crowds are amazed. They're just absolutely amazed at what he's saying. Again, the, the big issue was people were wondering, where did he get this authority? How, how did he get it? How can he speak like this? Well, Jesus one day, he's speaking to his disciples. And he says this in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. All what? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to, to me. all authority not just speaking authority but all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me listen jesus isn't just a miracle worker he isn't just a, a great teacher he is the mighty god and all authority on heaven and earth has been given to him he was mighty at birth he was mighty during his life and he was even mighty during his death you know death is a powerful thing as well isn't it 
Death is the great equalizer. But yet, listen to what Jesus says about his own upcoming death. In Luke chapter 10, verses 17 to 18, he says, The Father loves me because I sacrificed my life so I may take it back again. No one can kill me without my consent. I lay down my life voluntarily and I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. You understand what Jesus is saying here? He says, I have the authority over life and death. Who killed Jesus? Pop quiz. Who killed Jesus? Was it the Romans? Was it the Jews? Who killed Jesus? The answer is, nobody killed Jesus. Jesus allowed himself to be killed when he wanted to be killed. Once he knew that all of the work that the Father had given him was complete, then he says, okay, now you guys can have me. Because as you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's many times that they're trying to kill him. And they can't. And they're frustrated. Why can't we kill this guy? Because they didn't have the authority to do it. Jesus has all authority. And he says, when I have done everything I need to do, I'll allow them to crucify me. I'm going to pay for the sins of all the people before my time, during my time, after my time. And when that's all done, when that work is complete, I have the authority to come back to life again. Jesus is the mighty God. He's like, look guys, look, this is all part of the plan. When you see me raised up on that cross, don't fear. I volunteered to be up here. Don't run, don't be afraid, don't be scared. Which they did anyway. Because I'm coming back. So I have the authority to lay down my life and I have the authority to take it back up again. That church is the power of the mighty God. Now, as you usually do, at this point in a message you go, okay, but what does that have to do with me? That's a great question. What does that have to do with you? Well, it's very simple. Throughout all of human history, human beings have been on a quest for power. You know, oftentimes it's people want power over other people. But even in a more natural sense, the story of all mankind has been the story about the discovery of and then the application of power, whether it be manpower, or then horsepower, steam power, electric power, nuclear power. It's just we've been in this quest for, for power. And all those things that I just mentioned, those are good things. Humanity has benefited from that, both materially and financially. But the greatest power that we can go after is spiritual power. And that's a power that's available to every single person, even if we don't know it. Now, a lot of people, even if they do know that, okay, I can have spiritual power, they don't know how to tap into that spiritual power. And even if people know how to tap into the spiritual power, oftentimes they don't even utilize it to its fullest potential. It sort of reminds me of a, a story that when electricity was first being introduced, I mean, it's like brand new. 
there was a, a widow, a young widow lady, had a bunch of kids, and the electric company decided that they wanted to get her house as one of the very first houses with electricity because they figured it'd be such a great help to her. She's trying to raise these kids all by herself. And so they go in, they get everything installed, and as the months go on, they start to notice that her electricity usage is very, very low. And they're like, we must have done something wrong. We didn't hook up something, or a wire went bad, or whatever. So they send somebody out to, to check it out. And he knocks on her door, and he says, hey, I know I'm from the, the power company, and, and we think that your electricity isn't uh, working, and something's wrong here, because you know, you're hardly utilizing it. And they said, have you noticed anything's wrong? She said, no, it's wonderful. I love it. She said, every night when it gets dark, I, I flip on the light to light my candles, and then I turn it back off. <laughs> There's somebody that didn't understand the power that was available to her. And again, I think it's the exact same way with many followers of Jesus. We have this great power from the mighty God that's available to us, but we just don't utilize it. We don't use it. After Jesus' death and burial and resurrection, he spent 40 days proving to his disciples and others that he had truly come back to life. And then he tells his disciples, look, it's better for you if I return back to heaven. Now, before I go any further, let me stop right there. Put yourself in the... the sandals, of the disciples. They have spent the last three and a half years with this man, and they've seen him do miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. He's speaking with Shmiha. And he says, look, it's, it's going to be better for you if I return back to heaven. From a selfish standpoint, don't you think they go, mm, no, not really. And they, they, they don't understand, why, why, would he have to, why would he have to go? Why don't you just stay here with us? And so he explains it to him in John chapter uh, 16, verse 7. He says, I tell you the truth. My going away is what is best for you. The Holy Spirit cannot, what? The Holy Spirit cannot come to help you until I leave. But after I am gone, I will send the Spirit to you. Now, why is that important? Why is it important that the, the Spirit would come to us? Well, Paul, he, he talks about the, the Spirit in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, and he says, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives within you. Think about that. Jesus has all authority on heaven and earth. He has the power to, to lay down his life. He has the power to raise it back up again. How did he do that? Because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Now Paul says, that same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of each and every one of you who are a follower of his. If you have that power that raise Christ from the dead, guess what else that means you can do? What Jesus did. You 
can lay your hands on people and heal the sick. You can cast out demons. You have the power to do miracles. You. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. John chapter 14, verses 12 to 13. Jesus reiterates what I just said. Actually, I'm probably reiterating what he said, but anyway. (laughs) Just to be honest. (laughs) He says, I tell you for certain that if you have faith in me, you will do the what? You will do the same things that I am doing. You will do even what? You will do what? Even greater things than I am, uh, yeah, I've lost my place. (laughs) You will do even greater things now that I'm going back to the Father. Ask me and I will do whatever you ask. Now, I'll get to that in a second, okay? Because a lot of you are going, oh, cool. (laughs) No, 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 no. But this is another reason here that Jesus says that it's better for him to go back to the Father. He says that you and I, that us together as Exponential Church, that all followers of Jesus throughout the world, that we can do even greater things than he did. How many are going, I don't know if I believe that. Well, don't argue with me, argue with Jesus. And here's what that means and what he was talking about. When Jesus became flesh, he did give up some of his rights as God. In other words, Jesus could, was, was like us. He could only be at one place at one time. And even though he was doing these great and mighty miracles and wonders, he could only do it at one place at one time. So he says, look, I'm going to go back to the Father and send my spirit to live inside of each and every one of you. And you are going to become my body. Instead of my physical body being here in in Harrisburg on this day and in Jerusalem on this day and in Singapore on this day and in Perth on another, instead of me being different places throughout the world, all of you together are going to be my body throughout the world so I can be everywhere all at once. And so when he says that you'll be able to do even greater things than he did, it's not you individually, it's us collectively that we as the body of Christ throughout the world can do even greater things than Jesus did. But that means you need to do your part. It means I need to do our part or my part. And it means all of us together, we need to do our part. We are the body of Christ. We have the power of the Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead living inside of us. Now, if I'm being honest, most of you probably came in here today and you already believed that Jesus was the mighty God. You knew that. What you may have a hard time believing is that the almighty God wants to work in you and through you and use you to do great and mighty things on his behalf. Again, we're, we're like that, that woman. We don't realize that if we just flip the switch, <laughs> I've got this power that's available to me. But instead, we sit in the dark. 
look, we're coming up on a, a new year. It's the time that many of you are going to make some New Year's resolutions. I hope you start today, but if you don't start today, make it one of your New Year's resolutions that this is the year that I'm going to flip the switch. That I'm going to allow the, the light of Jesus to shine in me and, and through me and, and, and go out. I'm going to be a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. That people are going to just look at me and say, there's something different about this person. What do they have that I don't have? There's this, this light that's shining out of them. And I pray that this is the year that you'll flip that switch and realize the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of me. And so when somebody's sick, I don't have to call Gilbert and say, Gilbert, could you pray about this? I can pray about it. Because Gilbert doesn't have a different spirit than what was given to me. All of us, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in me, lives in you. My prayers aren't special. They're more special than yours are. And so I pray that, again, individually and then collectively, we will be Jesus' hands, we'll be his feet, we'll be his mouth to a hurting community, to a hurting nation, to a hurting world. And that we wouldn't limit ourselves and say, well, I can't do that. No, you can't. But guess who can? The God, the mighty God who lives inside of you. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Not because of me, but because of him. Now earlier, I was talking about this, this great power that's available to you. And you know, I'd be very remiss if I didn't quote that great theologian, Uncle Ben from Spider-Man. <laughs> Who said what? With great power comes great responsibility, right. I mean, that's not in the Bible, but that could have been a proverb, right? With great power comes great responsibility. And so earlier I was talking to you about how the, the, the story of, of human history has been this quest for power. And unfortunately, a lot of times when people go, oh, I've got power, we start to lord it over people. We start to use it and, and abuse people. But obviously that's not what Jesus would have for us to do with this, this power that he's given us. And so James gives a, a caveat to, you know, what Jesus had said earlier. You know, you can ask for anything in my name and you can get it. James, who's the brother of Jesus, he says, yeah, that's true. However, and so let's look at it. James chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. He says, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You selfishly want only what will give you pleasure. There's the caveat. Oh, I can ask for anything in Jesus' name? Jesus, give me a billion dollars. Dr. Evil's going, who needs a billion when you can make a million? You know, it's just, <laughs> it's not about you. It's not about your selfish pleasures and, and desires. That's not why you have this power. With great power comes great responsibility. So you're asking, okay, well, what is it that God wants me to do with this power? Well, again, it's not to use it selfishly. Let's think about this again, what we've, we've talked about here so far. We learn that Jesus is who? Jesus is the, the mighty God. 
we've learned that Jesus has all what? All authority, all power. And we've learned that he lives where? Where does he live today? In, in us that are his followers. Those of us that have prayed and sincerely asked for his forgiveness and we've, we've given him full control of our lives. We've repented of our ten, sins. We've, we've turned from our sins. He has sent his spirit to live inside of us. And so with that in mind, I want to once again take a look at Matthew chapter 28. The, the same verse that we looked at a little bit earlier. Because these are some of Jesus' final words to his disciples. And how many of you know that when you're with somebody that, you know, this is the last you're going to see them, these are their final words to you, maybe they're on their deathbed or whatever, how many of you know that you listen to those words a little bit more carefully? Because those words are important. You don't talk about news, weather, and sports in those moments. What do you talk about? What, what does the person who, who is going, what do they communicate to you? They communicate, this is what's most important to me. This is what I want you to, to remember me by. This is what I want you to understand. And that's what Jesus is doing here. These are some of his final words to his disciples before he returns back to heaven. And so we already looked at uh, verse 18, but we'll look at it again. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, now remember when you're in English class that they always said that anytime you see the word therefore, you have to ask, what is it there for? So he had just said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, and what's the next word? Go. Therefore, go. And what are we to do when we're going? He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teach these new disciples to obey how many commands? All the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And we've been talking about these particular verses a lot recently that what we've been discovering is that it's not enough for you alone to be a disciple. These are Jesus' final words. He doesn't say, go and become a disciple. He says, go and what? Make disciples. Whose responsibility is that? Yours, mine, all of us, the, the body of Christ, we together, all of us, go and make disciples of all nations. So again, it's not enough just to be a disciple yourself. You are to now go and you make disciples. And he says, and teach them to obey all the things that I have commanded you. Well, what is the most recent thing that he had commanded them to do? Go and make disciples. So what are you teaching your disciples to do? To go and make disciples. And what are they going to teach their disciples to do? Go and make disciples and so what we've been saying is this that look spiritual success isn't that you read the bible every day and that you're praying every day and that you're coming to church on sunday and that you're tithing and that you're obeying you know and being righteous and things. those things are important but success is when you are going and making disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples Again, spiritual success isn't about you. It's when you have spiritual children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Then you have truly matured in your faith. But not until then. And so we've got to go 
and make disciples. These are Jesus' final words. And how are we going to do that? Can you do that on your own? No. How can you do it? Because you have the power of the mighty God living in you. You can do this. It doesn't have to be me. You don't have to bring everybody to me. I mean, I'll do my part. I'll help you in that process. But this is a very relational thing. And, you know, here it's a very one-way conversation, right? I, I call this the school bus. You guys are sitting on the school bus, facing forward, and you're going wherever me, the driver, takes you. You don't have a choice. I mean, I guess you do. You could jump out. <laughs> but this is a very one-way conversation. And discipleship, as we look at the example of Jesus, it was very relational. Did you know that only 25% of the time in the Gospels when we read about Jesus that he's actually with the crowds? 75% of the time he's with just a handful of people, whether it be the disciples or you know, um, uh, uh, Peter, James, and John who are his sort of inner three. So it's very relational, and that's why we've been talking to you a lot in this past year about one-on-one you know, -on -one discipleship and getting involved in that and, and why it's so important to be in a life group because you need those types of relationships in order to to truly grow in your faith and in order for you then to share your faith with others and, and make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Here's the good news. Jesus promises here in this verse that I will be with you. How often? I will be with you. Always. So as you're going, as you're making disciples, he promises you, I will be with you as you're doing this. But you got to go. You know, my, my former boss, Rick Warren, he used to say it this way. It's not about your seating capacity, it's about your sending capacity. It's not how many can we seat in here, it's how many can we send out. Heard somebody else say it this way recently, that, you know, a, a church is like an aircraft carrier. If all the planes just keep sitting on the boat, on the carrier, then it isn't actually serving its purpose. And so we have got to be launching you you, I'm talking, when I say you, I mean you. Launch you out. Get you out. That's why we talk about you matter so much. That get out there. Show people that they matter to God and that they matter to you. You're going, I can't do it. No, you can't. But the power of the mighty God lives in you. And this is also why we need to change our definition of even what success in a church looks like. And this is that, that struggle that I've been talking with you guys about that I've been wrestling with for the past couple years personally. And then, you know, Nate and I, we sit on our uh, uh, one commission, our multiplication commission for our, our denomination. And our denomination's been wrestling through this. And this is why they asked me, you know, I, I got selected to, to be a part of this group of 25 pastors, you know, from out the, the United States. And I just was down in Nashville a couple weeks ago, and I'll be going down to Tampa uh, in, in January and then out to California, I think it is, in, in May. But we're, we're coming together as a group, and we're talking about these issues of we need to redefine success because we've gotten off mission. You know, historically, uh, the American church has been measured by the three Bs. Butts, bucks, not those bucks, <laughs> butts, bucks, and buildings. As long as you had more butts in the seats than you had last year, as long as you had more bucks coming in in the offering plate, as long as you kept building more and having more space and buildings, you were seen as a successful church. 
But here's what we need to understand. We could have a thousand people here on Sunday mornings at Exponential, but if every single person's a consumer, then all we've done is wasted an hour together. But if we have five people, or we have 50 people, or, you know, 100 people, and all those people are saying, you know what, my job is to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples, we could change the world. You know how I know that? Because Jesus did it with only 12. He wasn't worried about the crowds. He was worried about the 12. And can I teach them to now take this message and, and like an aircraft carrier, launch them out to make a difference in the world? And so we'll be talking more about that in the, the coming months and the, the really coming years. But these 12 disciples, they believe that the mighty God lives in me. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. And, and I've talked about the disciples before. They are ignorant. They are ordinary men. Idiotes, remember? Idiots. And God used them to change the world. And so do you believe that you're a world changer? Do you believe that we collectively, as a church, that we could change the world? I hope you do. I'm going to conclude today with the words of the Apostle Paul. And let's make this our prayer. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 to 21, he says, Glory be to God, who by his what? His mighty power at work within us is able to do far more than we would ever dare to ask or even dream of, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or hopes. May he be given glory forever and ever through endless ages because of his master plan for the church through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you sent the mighty God to us in the form of a baby. And that mighty God, Jesus, he, he grew and he lived that perfect and sinless life and, and, and he did great and mighty exploits on your behalf. And he had the power to lay down his life and he had the power to take it back up so that our sins might be forgiven. But Lord, we could have never in our wildest imagination have, have thought that your big plan after that then was to take that mighty God from the earth and, and return him back to heaven and instead send your mighty spirit and your mighty power to come and live in and through us. Little old us. Thank you. What, what, what responsibility, what, what power you've given us. And so help us not to take that for granted. Help us not to just sort of cruise through life, just sort of drift through life just trying to get from paycheck to paycheck, from weekend to weekend. God, help us to, to walk confidently and boldly in the power that you've given us. Not for our glory, but, but for your glory. God, help us to realize who it is that you've called us to be and what it is that you've called us to do. That we can be world changers. That we can lay our hands on the sick. That we can speak words of, of authority to other people. Not our words, but the, the words that you give us, the, the words that you've revealed to us in your word. And you can use us 
to make a difference in the, the life of our neighbor, the life of our coworker, the, the life of the people there in our, our neighborhood or at our school. God, you use us. Those close relationships with friends and with family. Lord, help your light. Help your mighty power to shine through us. Use us. Help us not to be afraid, but to walk confidently because you said, surely I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Jesus, use us. Use us to make a difference, to become world changers. We pray this in your mighty and holy name, the name that is above all names, the name of Jesus. Amen.